chapter, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Here at, at Heritage, we consider ourselves to be a family of faith. Um, the Bible says that blood is thicker than water. And sometimes people are confused as to what that means. They, they think blood like blood kin. But what, that, what that's really talking about there is a covenant, a blood covenant that joins two people together is something that's even thicker or stronger than those who are born from the same womb, born from the same water. The Bible goes on to say there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Again, it's talking about a covenant brother. And so it's a unique thing here at Heritage because I have so many of my blood relatives here, but we share, all of us, a union that's even much stronger than that. And that's the union that we have as being fellow members of the body of Christ. And so um, thank you for receiving my family as your own. And we certainly receive yours as our own. And um, just celebrating and rejoicing with us um, in uh, this addition to our family. I had so many people over the years tell me, you just wait till you have grandkids one day, Pastor Mark. And, and I understand now what so many people were trying to tell me. It's something that has to be experienced. It, it's almost impossible to explain. And um, so we are, we are certainly blessed and, and thankful because of it. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse number 14. I want to do a little bit of review this morning. This, this message is... Um, based upon something the Lord spoke to my heart in the end of 2018. Um, and it was just a simple statement. He told me that, um, that many of his children were wanting him to do things in their lives that they have not given him the place to do. Um, and that he could only keep what we've committed to him. And there are folks who are upset with, with Father God because he's not keeping things for them, preserving things for them. Um, but the problem with that is not on his side, it's on our side. Uh, he can only keep what, what we commit to him. And if we refuse to commit it to him, then we can't expect or have faith or confidence that he's going to keep it. He went on to say that, that people in the church are wanting him to have a place in this nation that we haven't yet given him in the church. And we're wanting to have a place in the church that we haven't given him in our families. And we're wanting him to have a place in our families that we haven't given him in our individual lives. And so as we learn to give him the place he deserves in our individual lives, he then can have the place in our family that, that, that we need him to have. If he can't have the place in the family that we need him to have, how can he have the place in the church? And if he's not Lord over the church that resides in a nation, how can he be Lord over that nation? And so from there, we have explored different avenues of this teaching. And we're currently looking at where Jesus began his earthly ministry. And we know that Jesus, contrary to fiction, Jesus did not heal or perform any miracles until 
He turned 30 until he was baptized in water by John the Baptist and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. After being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted, um, not because he needed to be purified, but remember what he was doing on this earth, he was doing for us, as us, as our substitute, as our representative. And so he endured that time of, of being tested, tempted, and tried. Um, and then the Bible says he returned from that experience in the power of the Spirit. And that's where we pick it up here in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now again, to simplify, what the Lord is speaking to us here in these beginning months of 2019 is to give him the place that he deserves in our lives. To give him place, if we could just abbreviate that. Now, you won't find that expression in the Bible, uh, giving him place or giving him the place that he deserves. But what you will find are words like the fear of God or to honor God or to worship God. All of these words are words that communicate this truth, this, this necessity of you as an individual, me as an individual, giving him the place that he deserves, the place of honor, that place of authority, that place of respect that he deserves um, in our lives. And this is another word here, this expression that he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. This word glorify is speaking of an unsolicited outward expressions from an inward opinion of the heart. And I think it's important to note that something that's unsolicited is something that's not asked for. It's something given or done voluntarily. How many of you know that Father desires for us to have a willing heart? Not for us to do it because we have to, not to do it because somebody's putting pressure on us to do it, not to do it because we're trying to impress other people by how de devoted and committed and, and, and how much of a, a better Christian we are than, than, than they, but he wants us to do what we do to him voluntarily, for it to be, again, an outward expression uh, from an inward opinion of the heart, where we do it because we recognize more than anything else he is worthy of these things. Now, if we break this word down even further, we get a really comprehensive look at what it means to give him place. And the first thing we see is that when they glorified him, it means that they recognized and received him as the anointed one sent from heaven. Number two, they, they treated Jesus with great respect. This is what it means to honor him. Number three, they expressed warm approval, admiration, and gratitude for him. In other words, they were thankful. They were thankful um, for Jesus, and, and their response to him reflected that. Number four, this word glorify means they deemed him worthy of their money, effort, and time. You know, if, if it's just, you know, all things, you know, considered or what have you, um, we, we tend uh, to commit ourselves, our, our time, talent, and treasure, or, or our money, our effort, 
um, our time to things that we feel are a, are a worthy investment. Um, things that, that we get some type of re- response from, that we get some type of satisfaction by being a part of. Um, in other words, just naturally speaking, we, we don't really spend a lot of our time, effort, and money on things that we feel like are a waste. Even if they are a waste, right? If, if we think that there's some value to it, then it's something that's important to us, um, then we tend to, uh, again, unsolicited, uh, gravitate towards that effort. So, again, they deemed Jesus worthy, a worthy investment of their finances, um, their, their labor, their effort, and also their time. And then the fifth one was that they properly valued Jesus. If we're going to give him the place in our lives that he deserves, we're, we're going to have to understand the value and the worth that he is to us, not just in terms of our eternal destination, but the value and worth that he brings to our daily lives. Amen. He's not just precious, right, for uh, the day we stand at the pearly gate. He's not just like really good to know um, when we find ourselves in some life crisis. But the, the true value and worth of Jesus is found in the fellowship that he extends and offers to us on a moment by moment, day by day basis. It's my prayer that you realize the worth and value that he brings to your life when you're having one of those sleepless nights and the enemy's tormenting your mind and, you're, and you've got difficult situations and you know maybe some issue with your job or some problem with your family or, or some challenge in your finances that, that, and, the, and the enemy's tormenting your mind that you'll begin at, at that moment to realize just how precious and how valuable um, he is uh, to, to your life. And again, not just to your eternal destination, but to your daily victory. Now, from all of this, we've established some statements for a consideration. And that is, we see in greater Galilee where Jesus was received in the way that he was received and responded to in the way he was responded to by these people, that he was able to produce results among them that we're going to see him unable to produce in places where he was received differently, responded to differently, all right? So if I could make those statements and then we'll dig into some new stuff. Jesus was able to do miracles among them because of the place they gave him. Now, this is maybe a new way for a lot of people to view this. Um, In Brother Copeland's uh, dynamic teaching on on what the Bible uh, reveals to us about the blessing of God, he made this statement that has, has really stuck with me. And this is the statement. He says, we're not blessed because we're healed. We're healed because we're blessed. All right? Now, let me, let me try to show you what he's saying in that statement. A lot of times people think, well, God did something for me, and so because of what he did for me, I'm blessed. Well, we're looking at it backwards because if you understand what the blessing is, it's empowerment from heaven to prosper you in your daily life. 
And we see that the blessing was upon Adam and Eve, and then they lost that blessing because of sin, and then that blessing was returned by covenant to Abraham, and we see how that blessing prospered him and directed his steps, and you can then trace that blessing all the way through the descendants of Abraham. For instance, Jacob and Esau fought over that blessing, and the blessing ultimately landed upon Jacob, and it was passed down from person to person until it came to Jesus, right? And then the Bible says that the blessing of Abraham now comes upon you and me because Jesus took the curse uh, upon himself so that we could be blessed with the same blessing that was upon Abraham, the same empowerment to prosper. Are you with me this morning? I'm not here to preach on this. I'm just trying to step outside of this to give you something else to look for so that when we come back, look at so that when we come back to it, perhaps it'll make more sense to you. So again, we think, wow, I got a new job. I'm blessed. No, you got a new job because you're blessed, right? You didn't, you're not blessed because you got a new job. You got a new job because you're blessed. You're not blessed because you're healed. You're healed because you're blessed. Amen. You say, wow, man, my, my children are, 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 are being, uh, you know, are, are, are prospering. I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed because my children are prospering. Well, yes, what you're really saying is you're thankful that your children are prospering and children are prospering because your children have the blessing of the Lord upon their lives. Amen. Now, that same confusion, that same confusion is easily, uh, you know, uh, applied here in the sense that we look at Jesus doing all that he did in greater Galilee, all the miracles that he was performing, the demons that were being cast out, the dead that were being raised. And you think, well, no wonder he was being glorified by these people. But it's kind of one of those, you know, which came first kind of questions. And it's easy for us to assume that Jesus did the miracles and therefore the people glorified him. But what we see is exactly opposite. And, and how we know this is the case is when Jesus goes to a place where the people do not glorify him. I'll show it to you in a moment in scripture where the people do not, did not glorify him. But let me say it another way. Did not give him the place that he deserved among them. The Bible says that he could not, not would not, but could not do any mighty miracle among them because they didn't give him the place. So the statement is this. They didn't glorify him because he did miracles among them. He did miracles among them because they glorified him. Because they glorified him. Now turn with me to Mark's gospel. Mark the sixth chapter. And we'll look at verses one through six. Mark chapter six, verses one through six. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? Yes, everybody good? All right. Mark chapter six. And we'll look at verses um, 1 through 6. Now, I'm not going to be able to cover all this this morning. We'll get to what we don't get to uh, this morning tonight. But there's some really key things here that, um, that we need to understand. Um, and you say, well, what effect does this have upon me and my life today? It, it's revealing principles. It's revealing truth. It's revealing um, the ways of God to us. And the ways of God that we see in operation among these people are the same way that God works and the same way that, 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 uh, that he does things or is unable to do things in our lives today. Amen. So let's begin. Verse number one. Then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. <coughs> Excuse me. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, 
Where did this man get these things? Now, let me stop right here. Maybe your Bible doesn't do this. Uh, most uh, translations do. Um, and what I'm saying by do this is capitalize any reference to Jesus. So if you'll notice where did this man get these things, the translators here chose to put a capital M there because it denotes deity. It, it denotes a reverence for Jesus. If this was talking about any other human being, it wouldn't be capital M. It would be lowercase m. But in the case of Jesus, they put the capital M there. Do you see it? All right. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out to you is I don't want you to get the wrong impression that these folks were viewing him as deity. In other words, they said, where did this man get these things? But they didn't say, where did this man, capital M-A-N, get these things? Okay? In other words, because remember, the mistake that they made was thinking that Jesus was no different than any other man. That's why they're saying, where did this man get these things? In other words, they're saying, Jesus knows things that a common man, an average man, shouldn't know. Jesus is revealing truth um, that we have no idea where he got it from. Okay? All right, so let's keep reading. Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were, notice that word, offended at him. They were offended at him. So again, if you notice the pronoun him, capital H, Again, it's because it's referring to Jesus. Now, I know I said verses 1 through 6. Let me stop here for just a moment because there are a lot of people who get confused right here. And, and, and when he talks about uh, brother, is this not the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are his sisters not here with us? So the truth of the matter is Mary was... Jesus' mother, but Joseph was not his father. If you remember, Jesus was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So when the people in his hometown say, um, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are, and are not his sisters here with us, they're referring to Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. Meaning these would have been children fathered by Joseph and Mary. Jesus being the firstborn child of Mary, but not fathered by Joseph. Okay, But now notice clearly these people just considered him to be uh, fathered by Joseph as well as by Mary. And notice now in light of what Jesus was saying and doing... Man, I've got a lot to say about that right there. I don't have time for it right at this moment, but let me go back to it. In light of what Jesus was saying among them, that was amazing them. The, the, the Bible in, in Luke's version of this says that the people marveled at the amazing and gracious words that were coming from his mouth. In other words, Jesus was delivering a message that was touching their hearts and, and, and impacting them deeply, right? And they were like, where does he get this? Where is this coming from, right? 
they were so surprised by that. Amen. Um, I was, Bryce, I was thinking about you this morning. I'll never forget the first time I heard you uh, stand up in front of a group of people and, and start sharing some things from the word. I, I, I had that, I'm like, my goodness, he's a preacher and doesn't know it, right? I mean, he, you know, just the gift that he had to, 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 to share the word of God and, 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 and communicate um, th- that truth, right? It was kind of one of those who would have thunk it kind of things, you know? Um, and I think that was kind of what was going on with Jesus. Again, remember, he didn't begin his earthly ministry until he was 30. So Jesus standing up in front of people ministering would have been something that his hometown uh, you know, crowd, family even, had never witnessed from him. And, and yet there was no denying that he had a gift and there was no denying that, that, that what he was doing among them was... Um, uh, you know, miraculous. Let me, I'm gonna, I want to go back, and I should have pointed this out while we were there. So let me go back just one verse and put it up on the screen. Oops, I went too far. All right. Um, notice with me, um, I, I know I'm probably doing a little more teaching this morning than preaching, but notice in verse two, those final uh, sentences. Where did this man get these things? Do you see the question mark there? There's a question mark there. And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? I don't know how many years I've read this passage, and I assumed that that was also a question. Notice, there's no question mark there. That's an exclamation point. Do you see that? In other words, that that says a lot about what's going on here. In other words, these people weren't questioning whether or not Jesus was performing miracles. They weren't questioning whether or not supernatural things were being done by him in other places of ministry. This isn't a question, what wisdom is this which is given to him that these... No, it's like, this is, they're exclaiming something here. They're stating something that is an undeniable matter of fact, right? Let me, let me stop here for a moment because... What I'm really wanting to to dig into a little deeper today is is this idea of opinion. The power of your opinion. Sometimes we say, you know, things like, "Well, well, you know, my opinion doesn't mean anything. People say that, well, my opinion doesn't count. My opinion doesn't mean anything. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Your opinion cannot and does not affect the truth. Your opinion does not and affect the facts. But your opinion does affect you. And we see that not only did the people in Nazareth have the wrong opinion of Jesus... They had the wrong opinion of him in spite of being amazed at what they heard him say and exclaiming what they knew he was doing, what the miracles that he was performing. Now, this tells me something also then about the power of your opinion because we see it in the power of the opinion that these people held. And that is the power your opinion has to blind you to the truth. To blind you, to blind me to the truth. Wrong opinions blind us to the truth. 
You would think that if these people were like, man, Jesus, you grew up here and, and, and nobody around here taught you these things. And it wasn't like that they were offended at what he was saying. They were drawn in by what he was saying. They were in awe of what he was saying. In Luke's gospel, it even says that they were gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And also, in the face of undeniable signs and wonders being performed by him, they still reached the wrong conclusion about him. And all because of their opinion of him. So never ever again say, my opinion doesn't matter. Because your opinion does matter. Because your opinion, perhaps more than any other thing, determines how it is with you. Remember, this is not how it was in Greater Galilee. In Greater Galilee, people had, a, a, I don't know if they had the exact correct opinion of him, but they had a, a higher opinion of him which enabled him to do things among them that he was not able to do amongst his own people. All right, let me get back to this. So is this not the carpenter? So notice, it's like, wow, what amazing things. Wow, what amazing works. But wait a second. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? Did he not grow up among us? Did he and his dad not make our kitchen table? So notice they were offended at him. They were offended at him. Now that is a very strong statement. I know some of you are new to this study. Last week we were looking at how Jesus came to reveal to us wrong thinking which in order to reveal wrong thinking, right, there's, there's going to be a conflict. Let me say it another way. If, if you're thinking one way and your spouse, your wife is thinking another way, if, if you guys are ever going to get on the same page, at some point there's going to have to be a confrontation. At some point there's going to have to be a, this is what you're thinking, this is what I'm thinking, let's try to come, let's get on the same page. Are you following what I'm saying? If, if Jesus never confronted their wrong thinking, he would have been complicit in, an, in a mindset that was blinding them to the truth that would have taken them straight to hell. But when he engages their wrong thinking, this is when we see them going from, oh, isn't he precious? Oh, isn't that amazing? Who would have thunk it? To trying to throw him off a cliff and kill him. So, we see this gracious words, but wait a second, isn't this James and Joseph's brother and this kind of thing, right? And, 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 and we don't realize that, that now what's really taking place inside of them is not indifference. Are you hearing me? It's not indifference. This whole idea that Jesus is just all right with me, that don't fly. That dog won't hunt. You don't have the option of being indifferent towards him. Let me, I got my voice up there at the time, didn't I? You don't have the option of being indifferent towards him. Amen. It doesn't work that way. You're either for him or against him. Jesus said you're either part of the problem or you're part of the answer. And there's no middle ground. So notice, it wasn't that Jesus exposed their indifference. 
he exposed their offense. They were offended at him. Wow. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there. This to me, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Mark chapter 6 verse 5 to me, for, for its own reasons, is one of the most astounding verses in all the Bible. Not just in all the Gospels, not just in all the New Testament, but in all of the Bible. Because here we see that Jesus, it doesn't say wouldn't do. It says couldn't do. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, right? Because why? There's always an exception. There's always a Joshua and a Caleb among the millions who said we can't. There's always a Joshua and the Caleb who says we can. And now uh, a whole generation later, they're saying, let's go up now and take the land because I'm more, I'm more able now in my 80s than I was in my 40s, right? So there's always those exceptions. There's always people right, who, who, who give Jesus the place that he deserves in their lives, which enables him to then do in their life what he desires to do in their life. And so notice, he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I believe if there was ever a group of people that Jesus wanted to do miracles among, it was the people he grew up with. It was the people that, that as a child, you know, friends that were in, in accidents that, that, you know, continued to affect them. Maybe friends that were paralyzed or, or, or children that were, were, were born deaf or, or, or what have you. In other words, I believe Jesus came home with such excitement to Nazareth to do so many mighty works and miracles among them. But because of the way they received him, because of the way they responded to him, it directly impacted the results that he was able to produce among them. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. To try to help you understand this like in a geographical sense um, a synagogue would be like a local church temple would be like the main headquarters in in the Jewish religion the temple was where it was in Jerusalem right but there were synagogues all over that area and so it would let's just say that this was the synagogue in Nazareth and Jesus came here and he read the scroll as he did in all those other synagogues and he announced that he was the Messiah like he did in all those other synagogues but but people here were like, no, no, you grew up here. We, we know who you are. You, you might get away with that where people don't know you, but we know you. I changed your diapers, big boy. Don't you act like that up in here. You're no different than us. You're no better than us, blah, blah. So that was the attitude, right? And because of that, because of that reception, because of that response, Jesus was unable to do among them what he desired to do. So, but notice, Jesus did not do what he told his disciples to do in similar situations. When Jesus sent his disciples into places to represent him, he told them that if you're not received there, to shake the dust off your feet, right? Don't be offended. Don't get all in an uproar, uproar you know, don't get road rage, whatever. Um, just shake the dust off. 
and, and move on to the next uh, place, move on to the next city. Now, the idea behind shaking the dust off is you don't want to carry any offense or unforgiveness or, or sense of rejection to the next place you go. It's kind of like a door-to-door salesman who gets told no seven times. You know, by the eighth door, he knocks on that door and he goes, you don't want any of these encyclopedias, do you? I didn't think so. And so Jesus said, no, no, shake the dust off, move on, go fresh to the next city because if they didn't accept you in this city, there will be a city where they'll accept you. But notice, this is not what Jesus did in Nazareth. What did he do? When he marveled because of their unbelief, then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So let's say Hueytown is Nazareth. This means he would have went over on the other side of Brook Lane. He would have went over to North Highlands, West Highlands. He would have went down to Virginia Mines. He, he would have went over to Dolomite. He, in other words, all the different villages or communities um, in this city, he would have went to those uh, doing what? Teaching them. Because why? Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. In other words, trying to, to, to help you know, stir up some faith among the people so that they would ultimately go from a place of offense and unbelief to a place of, of receiving and, and, and believing uh, who he really was, which would then what enable him to do among them what he was sent among them to do. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? Is it making sense to you? All right. Praise God. Um, last thing, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish right here. Um, the first point in the first public sermon Jesus ever gave was on attitude. Now, what does that tell us about the importance of attitude? Um, we Remember, God the Father in the Garden of Eden, He announced, I call it the scene of the crime, where Adam and Eve sinned. They made coverings for themselves out of fig leaves. Father God came into the garden like He had so many other times, but this time He came to bring correction, but He also came to, to make a declaration. He declared that one day a woman would give birth to a seed, capital S, that would crush the head of the serpent who had done what he had done in that garden. And of course, that woman he was speaking of prophetically was Mary, and the seed that he was speaking of prophetically was Jesus. Now, we, we also see that you know, we waited for many, many generations for that promise to be fulfilled in the meantime, Father God did speak to us through prophets and, and mighty men and women of old. But in these last days, Hebrews says, He's speaking to us through the person and personality of His Son. So we wait all this time for Jesus to come. He, he arrives, but because He was born of a virgin, but also born under the law, we have to wait until He turns 30 so that He can legally begin an earthly ministry. Now that he's turned 30, we've waited all these generations. Now we've waited 30 more years. Jesus is called the Sermon on the Mount. He's finally, he's finally God in the flesh, the Word of God made flesh living among us. And he's going to open his mouth and give his first sermon. Do you understand that what he's about to say has, has been something Father God has wanted spoken to his people now for many, many generations? In other words, I'm, I'm, I, could do, I could spend more time building this up, but I'm trying to get you to understand the magnitude of the importance of what he's about to say. And the first point of the first sermon is attitude. Why? Because your attitude determines your response. 
Your, attitudes towards, your attitude towards a thing, your attitude towards a person determines how you respond to that thing or person. And Jesus knew that if the people's attitudes were not where they needed to be, he would come and, and live among them and work among them and minister among them and many would miss altogether what he had come to do for them and in their lives and families. The Bible says it this way, he came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right and privilege to be sons and daughters of God. Singers and musicians, if you would come, please. Wow. So, why are we talking about attitude now? We said last Sunday that attitude is the gumbo of the soul. Meaning there's lots of different ingredients. That's why it's hard to, to define what an attitude is. But we know one when we see one. We know a good one and we know a bad one. But many times we are deceived when it comes to our own attitude. You ever have anybody tell you, man, you got a bad attitude. And you're thinking, what's wrong with my attitude? Am I the only one? There's nothing wrong with my attitude, right? We, in other words, many times we're blinded to wrong attitudes in our own lives. Now, when we talk about attitude being the gumbo of the soul, many different aspects of our thoughts and thinking, experiences, personality, so forth, go into that pot to create this attitude. The one ingredient that is the most influential, the most impactful when it comes to our attitude is what? Our opinions. Nothing does more to shape your attitude towards a thing, towards a person, than your opinion of that thing or that person. Amen. All right, we'll talk some more about this this evening. Stand with me, please. Praise God. Are you getting anything out of this? Amen. Amen. I want to I pray for you, and then we'll uh, give you an opportunity, if you'd like to be prayed for, to, to come forward while we sing. But Father, I thank you for every person in this room. and Father, it, it occurred to me a few minutes into the sermon that we were praying for other folks, but we pray for Miss Nita this morning. And Lord, we thank you for just your hand upon her, Lord. We're sorry that she took a little tumble, but we just pray that she'll heal and recover quickly, Father. And we just thank you for, for your hand upon her life and for the blessing that she is um, to her family, to my family, Lord. Father, we now, Lord, just stand before you humbly, so, sir. We, we ask you by your spirit to search our hearts. Father, this is not about condemnation. It's about correction, Lord. It's, it's not about shame and embarrassment. It's about reproof. It's, it's not about ex, exposing. It's about things that we don't even realize in our hearts, Lord, that are affecting our lives. <coughs> excuse me, that are affecting our lives are there. So Father, we ask that, that you help us. You said if we judge ourselves, there'd be no need for us to be judged. So Father, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you help us as we search our own hearts, Father, as we examine our own opinion, our own attitude towards you, towards your word, towards your people, towards assembling ourselves together, towards our pursuit of your highest and best, towards your pursuit towards a pursuit, Lord, of, of your purpose and assignment for our lives. Father, we boldly declare that as, as for me and my house, as for us and we and Father, we're going to serve you. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, search our heart to see if, if what we're doing really is serving you. 
or are we just simply being served by you and by people who know you, Lord? So, Father, these are some heavy things, but they're important things. And I thank you, Father, that your spirit's breathing on these, Lord, to to make us aware and to help us understand. Father, things that potentially have been hidden from us that are holding us back. Things, Father, that that we've taken for granted, Lord, um, but now you're wanting us to see in a different light. Father, you told us that, that we're wanting you to do things in our lives that we haven't given you the place to do, Father. May we not wait until you do those things to glorify you, Father, but may we glorify you now. May we give you the place that you deserve now so that from that place you'll be able to do what we need you to do in our family. May we commit to you, Father, the things that we need to commit to you so that you can keep them and preserve them until the day we stand before you. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it. Let's sing this together this morning. If you're here and you'd like for someone to pray with you, these altars are open. We invite you to come. Amen.